Warum willst du das? Warum willst du, dass die Zukunft wieder genauso passiert? Weil das, was heute entsteht, der Anfang vom Ende ist. Die schwarze Materie, sie muss entstehen, damit ich sie in der Zukunft zu ihrer neuen Bestimmung führen kann. Dem Ende dieser Welt. Ich bin der Auslöser. Aber nicht für das, was du denkst. Ich bin der Auslöser dafür, dass du zu dem wirst, was ich heute bin. Welcome back to another episode of the Fear of God podcast. Your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, everyone in the world's favorite podcast, so they say. Speaking to you right now is Nathan Rouse, one of your hosts. Now, typically with me is fellow co-host, uh, yellow raincoat wearing Reed Lackey. And he was here a minute ago. Uh, he was, but strangely, he was kind of favoring his neck. I don't really know what that was about. And he said something to me that, you know, just, I don't know. I'll tell you guys what he said and y'all be the judge. He said, he was like, Nathan, I think we're a perfect match. Never think anything else. And then he just, he just left. And, uh, you know, I, I, maybe he'll be back. Let's, we, one can only hope. Um, but today, everyone, we are finishing so many things. We are finishing, uh, speaking in tongues phase two and thus speaking in tongues period. Um, so we are bringing that series home finally. Uh, we are also finishing what we have been tagging in on for several weeks now, that of discussing Netflix's Dark Season 2. Um, if you're curious what Speaking in Tongues is all about, go check out our whaling episode from the top of September. Um, at its most basic, we have been trying to, uh, attempting at least, to show solidarity with brothers and sisters throughout the world, recognizing that Jesus is on every road and highlighting foreign language horror in the process. Um, again, in this final edition, we are sort of beaming to another dimension with the finale of Dark Season 2. But was ist das? It's foreign correspondent Vera Gaudi. Vera, Hi. welcome back to the show. Hello. It's been a while. It has. Not, you know, it's been, it's been you know, we're, we're still like three days out from the apocalypse. So I think we've got a little time, uh, but I'm glad to... Glad to have you here. It's it's always a pleasure to have our foreign correspondent here reporting from the Great White North. Um, Literally white right now. 
Like, I'm going to say this and you're going to be like, no, you're not. But I am a little envious of that. Like, that's, that's pretty cool. So Vera, I did, I did want to, you know, uh, uh, thank you. You, you recently acquired for yourself a fear of God mug. Did you not? Oh, I did. I got a that ain't right mug. Well, that is so. I'm drinking out of it right now. My coffee. That is so right. Because likewise, I'm drinking hot tea out of my it's alive mug. It's just <laughs> the the nerdiness never ends. So, so you gotta I do keep feel, the theme going. Yeah, yeah. I do feel the need to apologize to you for the shipping costs. You Canadians <laughs> have a lot going for you, but shipping costs is not one of those things. Yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of merchandise, yes, you can acquire a... Uh, that ain't right mug, which Vera is modeling for us now, and it's a live mug, which I am modeling for you now. You can go to t uh, public dot com, plug in the Fear of God podcast, all one word. You can find T shirts, you can find magnets, you can find pillows, you can find mugs, you can find Reed. Hey, buddy, <laughs> hey. welcome, welcome. Back. That was <laughs> that, that had that had a very kind of Kramer feel to it. The, the way you just kind of laughed on entrance, <laughs> wow. that was lovely. I'm well, really happy that just happened. I mean, you just announced that I'm. You can find me on T Public. I mean, that's that's pretty. I can't amazing. imagine the shipping cost to ship a human being to Canada. You know what? It's pretty. It's pretty bad. Only to Canada it's, though. That's the. I was gonna say it's it's less than you'd think. <laughs> not that not that I would know. <laughs> oh wow! Did right. you, so you don't watch The Office. You don't watch The Office. Um, There's two people here. Who are, you, who are you speaking to? I'm talking to you, Nathan. I'm sure Vera may or may not watch The Office. but I, I have no watched The Office, yes. So Vera watches The Office. You have not watched The Office. There's an episode of uh, a Halloween episode of The Office in which the character Creed comes in and everybody's in their costume and Creed is just covered in blood. And and they're looking at him, and you know the the style of The Office is that occasionally they have asides to the camera and everything, and then yeah, um, yeah, and I then, know what it is. Oh, you've so you've seen the uh, have you seen the joke that I'm about to make, or you just know what the no, the office no, is? Okay, I'm just giving you crap, of course. And I love when you do that; it's it's so fun <laughs> for me. So, um, so Creed is just like covered in blood, and so then uh, they, you know, he's like, "Oh yeah, that's a really scary costume," and then it turns to his aside to the camera, and he says, "Oh, it's Halloween." That's very fortunate. That's <laughs> just. It's awesome. That's funny. I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, despite uh, popular opinion, you cannot find me on tpublic.com. I uh, I am here, though, and as you already said, we're welcoming well, Vera. Vera, we are welcome. Welcome, Vera. welcome back to the Fear of God. Last time we were talking about eyes without faces, and it was... It was quite horrendous, but uh, however, that said, we were also talking about Dark Season One, so that it kind of works. It is. It's true. It's true. Um, so, how have you been, Vera? Uh pretty good. Um, awesome. Yeah, our our hockey commentators and up here are um, all fighting and warring, and um, <laughs> the Leafs coach just got fired. So, in terms of our national sport, things aren't going great. But oh, we did have an no. election. <laughs> How'd that oh. go? Oh, Trudeau won again. Yeah, uh, I might. I might. I mean, you know, safe, safe for that whole blackface thing. But you know, <laughs> wow, you just gotta love the internet, just dredging up everything. I know, every, I know everybody. It's, rough, it's it's the wild west out there. <laughs> it really is. Uh, so yeah, so good, uh, good for him, good for you guys, good for good for everybody, <laughs> good for everybody. Yeah. So 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 uh, you know the the hockey teams aren't doing so great, or at least whatever you know. You do Wolverine is from Canada, so that's good. But you know, um, I did just while we're all together uh, again, um, I did have a question for you guys, and that is, I am, you know, as I am prone to be, quite curious, you know. 
sort of like a cat. And and this evening, at least, I'm curious to know what you're watching. What you reading? No, it's backing me up. What are you listening to? <laughs> it is. It is cold. It may be snowy up in Canada, but it is cold where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> are you back out in the garage now? No, no, no. I was making a reference to the fact that I was feeling out in the cold, like I was. Nobody was backing me up in the song. That's that was the no backup the vocals. Nope. Oh, that's so, good. No, so that's how no, you feel no, no. every time that I have a joke that just falls completely, <laughs> completely flat. I know, I know now how that feels. Mm, that's, uh... So what you watching, uh, Reed? <laughs> Reed, what are you watching, buddy? <laughs> um, okay, so at the at the moment uh, this past week, it has been a lot of classic short cartoons from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. It has been a lot of classic. Uh, films from you know my period time when I was growing up. Uh, it has been a whole lot of Disney Plus because mm -hmm. I did take the plunge and purchased Disney Plus. Uh, my family and I have all been thoroughly enjoying uh, the various uh, things on there. there. There's honestly, it's been so far. Uh, it, it for me, it has been just a lot of catching up. I didn't realize because they announced all of the. Uh, the the films that they were going to have available at launch. They announced all those, but I was unaware that they were going to have so much in the treasure trove of like those classic cartoons from when I was growing up that used to introduce or like fill space on the Disney Channel. And man, I, I have just been diving into dozens and dozens of those. Those are those are really really fun and uh, take me back to when I was a a wee lad. Yeah, my kids have gone from watching Frozen on DVD to Frozen on Disney Plus. So nice. utilizing <laughs> yep. the service really well. So Disney wins. <laughs> right. Right. They always do. Hmm. They do. So, but yeah, the, the, so but that's been a good chunk of what I've been enjoying the uh the features that I've checked out on there so far have been uh, The Black Cauldron, The Sword in the Stone. I watched um The Great Mouse Detective. I of course checked out uh, the Mandalorian, so uh, yeah, it's it, it, it. I mean, it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I know. Well, now let me ask you. It, I'm not going to use the Mandalorian as my watch of watching, but as our resident mild Star Wars fan, you know, I don't mean that rudely, but you know, what I'm saying like uh, as someone who's less. Yeah, I'm a nominal about Star the Wars series fan. Yeah. as a whole. Um, do you like the Mandalorian? I like it quite a bit. No, I liked yeah, it quite a it's bit. It's pretty cool. I feel like it's taking its time. The presentation, like the production value, is very high. Um, and I, but I mean, I feel like it's sort of taking its time with how it's unpacking the story. So we'll see. I don't want it to dredge right. into like it's being. Early. Yeah, I, I don't want it to dredge into like feeling like it's dragging. Um, but it helps that the episodes themselves are pretty brief um, and uh, easily digestible. So yeah, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Quite a bit. I like that they've kind of taken a page out of um, Dark Crystal's book, and they're doing the uh, the Muppet mixed with the CGI. Yeah. Oh, are you yes. talking about a little baby Yoda? Oh my goodness! <laughs> that's the greatest thing to hit Star Wars since Ray summoned the lightsaber. I mean, like that is like that's that's amazing. That's well, that's not my Star Wars. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All those no, stupid that, nerds. That old baby um, Yoda is just amazing. Baby Yoda is amazing. Best now, fifty-year-old baby Yoda. I don't, Vera. What are you exactly referring to? Because I don't think baby Yoda is CG at all. I could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, uh I, I don't think baby Yoda is CG. I think he is a Muppet, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I think but there, a mix of... oh, the there are certain things that are CG, um, or that they do in CG and then there are certain things that they Muppet. So in the same way, the Dark Crystal TV right. show, 
merges the two um, or they yep. like blend gotcha. it. Yeah. Yeah. There is no way that Muppet swallowed that little creature. Like there's no way that that frog <laughs> physically happened. Yeah. No, that that was definitely CG. But yeah, I, I, I like... I like that it actually. No, no. I think uh, I think that was all practical. They've <laughs> <laughs> like, come a long way with Muppets. I'm just telling you. Oh uh, uh, yeah, so yeah. uh, Mandalorian. It's good stuff. With for listeners, as of this recording, we're only two episodes in. Uh, only two episodes have been released. That is, um, so sure. d- depending on what happens in tomorrow's release, may change things. Uh, Vera, Vera, what have you been up to? Uh, Rob and I caught the show on Netflix called Daybreak. Okay. It's a post, post-apocalyptic post teen, I don't know, drama, comedy, comedy. Uh, and uh, it's about a world where nobody over the eighteen age of 18 has survived the apocalypse. And they all become like zombies, but not zombies, who th- they bite, but they don't turn you into zombies when they bite. And they say the last thing that they were thinking before the apocalypse hit, before the explosion happened, which is pretty funny. Um, wow. And the teens have basically grouped themselves into factions a la the Mean Girls cafeteria. So you have like the jocks have set up their own post-apocalyptic group. The cheerleaders are called the Cheermazons and they've set up their group. There's like the Kardashian crew. There's the people in the mall. Like there's a bunch of different teen groups that have formed factions during this apocalypse. Matthew Broderick is in it. Um, oh. And it's kind of done... Like, there's definitely shout-outs to all kinds of um, older, like, horror shows and also older shows. So there's a lot of shout-outs to, like, Ferris Bueller, and then him making the the cameo appearance is pretty cool. Um, there's a character nice. named Sam Dean, and so anyone who has watched Supernatural knows that that's a shout-out to Supernatural. There's just a lot of really cool and funny and quirky stuff. Um, we enjoyed it overall. It was pretty good. Um, it definitely makes you feel very far removed from high school (laughs) 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 Um, in some aspects, but it's overall, it's a really fun show. You know, just listening to you describe that, which I wasn't familiar with. I don't envy like pitch meetings these days. Like how do you, what is, what is the elevator pitch for that? Like, okay, give me, give me a three sentence. Oh God, I don't, I'm already lost. You know, it's like, you you may have noticed that I'm not really good at the three sentence description. I kind of go weird with my descriptions and make things sound worse than they are. (laughs) Well, even just you describing, I'm like, good Lord, the genre specificity here is, is pretty insane, but cool. So daybreak on Netflix and Reed is, you know, juicing on Disney plus. Um, (laughs) so I, I, I'm going to, I need, I just need a minute y'all like need to clear the lane a little bit Uh because an unexpected thing happened this week that I just need to toot the horn a little bit. Like Reed, Mm. Reed is our, like on the fear of God, at least Reed is our celebrity magnet. You know, they, (laughs) they, they fawn over him, you know, they adore him. Um, I mean, not that many fawn. They ask Reed for autographs. At least one um, did. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> but I had Vera. Do you know where this is going? You saw this, right? I, don't I had know. okay. I had a very unexpected turn of events play out to my week this week. So a um, little bit of story time. So everybody get comfy. You know, crisscross applesauce. Um, <laughs> uh, so I won this sales goal this year for my work. That was pitched as just an overnight to New York. Like, 
you know, me and whoever else, like if, if, if a person, anyone could have hit this sales goal. So like if Reed hit it and Vera hit it, all three of us with the boss are going to New York city for a night, you know, kind of like hang out, go to a nice ah. restaurant, uh, you know, kind of lodge, uh, in, in Manhattan in the center of everything. And so me and this other guy hit this goal throughout the year. And on Monday, literally this happened on Monday, the boss was like, do y'all want to go tomorrow? All right. Right. So like tomorrow, the next day. Uh, and both of you have children and spouses and lives. Yeah. You can imagine how like, um, wait, what? Tomorrow? Like, you <laughs> want me to go to New York tomorrow? Seems abrupt. Uh, it, it, yeah, that's how, that's that's that, that sales life. But anyway, <laughs> so I got all the clearances necessary. And on Tuesday, uh, less than 24 hours from when this was even a conversation, uh, I was on a plane to New York City. Well, the people I work with, they're like, just, you know, envision sales people, sales men typically, and you're not too far off the mark. Um, like not, this sounds disparaging. I don't totally mean it to be, but not a super like cultured sort of environment, right? Their, their idea was go to New York and eat a steak, right? Like that is the cultural experience they're after and chasing. <laughs> well, I, I'm like, okay, uh, we're going to New York City for 24 hours. I would feel like an idiot if I didn't just see or attempt to try to see some theater, right? Because that's the, the place on the planet where you try to do that. So the night before, I did a little bit of research. Once I knew this was more or less happening to see what was out and what was kind of short. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have a ton of time. I knew they were going to want me a dinner. So I found an hour and a half show that turns out featured uh, Tom Hiddleston. He of MCU Loki fame and Charlie Cox, he of Netflix Daredevil fame. And it's called Betrayal. It's by Harold Pinter. And I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> went in Rome. Um, so got my ticket to Betrayal, went at a seven o'clock curtain on Tuesday night. And after the show, went out to the stage door, which I've only been to one other Broadway show, so this uh, this is not like me just telling people this uh, out of a, a place of knowledge. You know, the stage door, it's like where you go outside and you can potentially meet these people. And I went and met Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox, and it was amazing. That's pretty awesome. And I got my picture with both of them, and yeah, that's was pretty amazing. So my what you're watching is also uh, who you're meeting. <laughs> I watched Betrayal on Broadway. <laughs> Or off-Broadway. I don't totally know exactly geographically how that worked out. Uh, and got to meet Loki and Daredevil. Just a That's pretty good awesome. Old, good old Marvel team-up. That's really that, cool. How was the play? Uh, it, was, it was Pinter, man. It was just... <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's... Um, it, was all like, uh, uh, it was good. It was good. Like, um, I my only inroad to Harold Pinter's material is I did actually produce one of his shows years ago, but not even because I knew about it, but because the guy who's a buddy that I got to direct it knew it and wanted to produce it or wanted to direct it. And I'm like, okay, fine. Um, Pinter is very cerebral. It's very, like, minimalist. So this particular play, it's actually a really good a really cool concept. It's uh, the two of those gentlemen. And then there's uh, a woman character. And so it's just three performers. Uh, literally the set is two chairs, um, at least this production. And, you know, they did some funky things with the lighting and the, the set, uh, which is just a blank wall basically, but it's a backwards told relation relationship in, de in demise. So, mm. It starts with Charlie Cox's character and 
I feel like an idiot because I don't know the actress. Her name is Zowie Ashton. It's Z-A-W-E. I don't know how to say her first name, but uh, Miss Ashton, uh, the two of them. And it's their characters reflecting on the affair they had with each other that is now no longer in play uh, mm. and is is like two years after it ended. They're reflecting on that. Well, then you start going back. The aforementioned betrayal. Exactly. Uh, well, and then yeah, it all so makes sense. Now. There's there's another betrayal baked into the premise too, uh, because Hiddleston is Zowie's husband. There, he's best friends with Cox, and so you know, but it tells it in reverse. So you're kind of backwards jumping through the story. It's pretty cool. Uh. Um, but the the broader point is it led to me getting to meet some pretty cool people. That is awesome. I was I was excited. <laughs> Oh, of As course. You should be. <laughs> yeah, no, of yeah. course. It was very cool. Um, that has been another edition, you guys. Of what you watching? What you watching? What you reading? And who you meeting? <laughs> and what are you listening to? Stories about Nathan going to New York because he want to save Skyfish. <laughs> that's amazing that is amazing all right so we are you guys we're bringing it home the apocalypse is upon us um, is. whether we want it to be or not and we are going to be discussing in this fear of god podcast episode installments seven and eight of dark season two i am curious reed so this is mm. don't you mm. you can you can fill out however much or little you want but a couple weeks ago I pitched to you three notions, and I'm just curious where you fell on these notions. I pitched to you that okay. by the by the end of the season, one, you would dislike Hannah even more than you already did before you answer. I'm going to tell the other two. The other one I said was uh, you would see Ulrich fall even farther. And then the third one was that you would be frustrated by the ending. How How on point was any of that? Two out of three of those were entirely accurate. Um, That's not bad. That's yeah. Two out of three ain't bad. Meatloaf told me that. Um, <laughs> and so, but uh, so so yeah. No, uh, two out of three of those were absolutely accurate. Perhaps because of you. I mean, in this world where people try to prevent things or prepare things and then ultimately cause them, uh, maybe because you had said that the ending was going to frustrate me, it did not actually wind I like up how frustrating you did that. me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm, at, listen. I'm not a novice at this. I've been I've been doing this right. podcast. You're George. Thing Tell me for, about for the time travel, George. Um, but no. So uh, so no. Honestly, in all sincerity, I think probably because I was prepared. Because when when I saw the ending of season one, I didn't have any clue right, right. how anything was going to end. Um, but this time, kind of going into it and knowing, okay, there's going to be a lack of concrete resolution. And there's going to be some dangling threads left narratively. Um, but I will say, and we'll get into more specifics as we get into it, the ending of season two, uh, not only did not frustrate me, actually kind of galvanized and excited me for what season three might be offering us. So that was the only That's one cool. of those, uh, predictions right. that, that didn't quite come to play. Was it because you prepped me for it? Was it in spite of that? We will never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Vera, um... You were present in conversation for the middle of season one, and so we haven't chatted about this show since then. How would you, before we dive into details of these episodes, how would you generally sort of compare your feelings of one to two? I think that I liked season one a little bit more, um, only because 
I think there was just more of an air of mystery in season one and season two, as the story got bigger and more people got involved, it kind of felt a little bit unwieldy. And then I, I'm not a fan of how it ended. Your prediction is correct for me. It, (laughs) as much as I liked, and I know you guys love the TV show lost. That was one of the things that, um, I didn't like about lost. Mm. Um, read, read polar plug. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm fired. Did, You're going to have to find another. How did she get on air? This has been uh, our final appearance <laughs> of Harry uh, Gowdy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just had to dial tone. That's all it is. No, just, just mute her and she doesn't know the rest of the conversation. <laughs> in, the, in the editing, it's just you hear the dial tone click in. It's like, oh I, don't I don't know what I've she been said. dead the whole time. <laughs> now clarify clarify Vera but and and we don't have to dwell here long lest our you know mine and Reed's mutual blood pressure continue to go up Uh-oh. like uh are you referencing you didn't like the time travel aspect of lost what do you mean when you say no. this has reminded you of something you didn't like there I don't mind that in both shows and I'm going to reference another TV show I don't mind in both shows that time is kind of Jeremy Barry like that it's Jeremy Bear you bus <laughs> pulled out Jeremy Barry oh I don't She's know. back on now. She's back on now. I've, I've well, I guess up. I'm out then because <laughs> I, I, I can't, you know, Jerry. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, the three shows we have just referenced in quick succession have been lost to the good place and arrested development in very, very quick succession. So, with little, with little explanation. Yes, no context. Good anyway, sorry, okay, cool. Vera, you should be allowed to speak. Speak. It's okay. No, the, so the reference in the good place is Ten Danson's character says that um, time goes a little bit forwards, a little bit backwards. When you look at it in 4D. The way time goes, it spells out the words Jeremy Barry instead of it being linear or circular or whatever. It looks like the words Jeremy Barry. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of how how I've been looking at. I look at both Lost now and um, Dark. Is that it's Jeremy Barry? It's kind of it goes all over the place. It goes a little bit forwards, a little bit backwards. I don't like the side jumps, like the parallel mm-hmm. dimensional mm-hmm. stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I mean. You know, I'm lost. Not, it's not really parallel. They're just w- wow. It's just <laughs> this is our guest, Nathan. I know, I know, I know. Woo, Canada. All right. Um... <laughs> no, that actually no, that actually makes good. sense. So, so I want to comment on that because, like, uh, we're kind of jumping a bit to the end, but um, we'll like get time. into the, we'll get into the specifics of why when we get into the particulars of the episode. But the ending of Dark season two. For those of you who have not been following along, but yet for some reason are still listening to this episode, we love you. Please stick around. Um, but uh, for those for those who have not seen the show, um, there is an element at the end of Dark season two that is that is very described like kind of a parallelism where there is a uh, a multiverse quality to the to what the show is giving us. Whereas before, in the entirety of season one and in the you know ninety eight percent of season two. It had only been moving back and forth in linear space. People Jeremy encountering Barry. each other. Yeah, yes. Um, been moving, uh, but it, ostensibly in the same sort of dimension of each other. But there's an element we can get into more specifics later uh, at the end that introduces the not only is it navigating back and forth through time, but also navigating side to side through different versions of these same worlds and uh, and yes I I can so I can totally understand 
somebody who's not on board for that uh, narrative wrinkle, whereas I tend to get rather excited by those kinds of plot lines, and so that's why I was kind of excited and galvanized by the ending. Um, on that point, um, I think the end of season two, and yes, we will rewind and go back through these two episodes, but I, the reason... And I wish I could say it was intentional, Reed, to overhype what might be disappointment in the finale, but it really was just I was disappointed because in a way that the future jump at the end of season one, even that didn't quite kind of perturb me as much as, you know, Martha with the good hair popping into our dimension and being like, what up? You know, she's got her golden snitch. And (laughs) because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so elusive. Every time you you know, are starting to wrangle this into some sort of cohesive narrative in your head. It's like, oh, oh my God, y'all. Really? How on <laughs> earth with three, with one season left, is it eight episodes? Is it 10 episodes? Is it 30 episodes? I don't know. But with one season left. So it's funny. Um, read at the top of this episode, right before we started recording, Rob Gowdy, Vera's husband was on and I was uh, inquiring of him about his feelings on season two. And, I don't love the feeling that season two left me. What I said to him was, I don't love the feeling season two left me, which is, okay, I kind of need to know what three is to know how I feel about two, which Mm. is not something that happened with one. With one, I was like, this is a pretty complete, you know, clearly we're tangenting right here at the end with season one. um, But more or less, it felt pretty complete. And, you know, one could argue that that sort of happens in two. But for my personal sort of experience, it was like, well, now I'm kind of neutral on this season until I kind of know where this goes. But regardless, let's, for the sake of just sort of um, clarity, uh, dive into some details here, starting, if it's okay, uh, dive into episode seven, which is titled The White Devil. Mm. Yeah, so this one's got a pretty big, I, I will say for myself, rewatching this now, season seven is super strong. This is a good episode, specifically the Hannah Ulrich stuff resurfacing in the way that it does. Holy cow. Yeah, that intense. Yeah. And you had mentioned about, you know, hating Hannah more and Ulrich slides down further like that is that's pretty awful. I mean, brutal. I mean, like that Hannah's the worst. She really is. (laughs) She is. She is one of the most, like, I'm really frustrated with Katarina right now and how, like, self-centered she is and how sort of self-obsessed she is with, with just, it, it's all just kind of about her and what she knows and what she wants to figure out. But, like, Hannah is malicious and premeditated awfulness. Like, it's just terrible. Woman goes all the way back in time just <laughs> just to tell a man, like, just to mess with a man. Like, that oh, is, that man. Is awful. Hell hath no That's fury cold. like a woman scorned who has yeah. a time machine. That's colder than Canada today, man. Like, that is awful. <laughs> like, but let's, all right, but let's let's not cast every aspersion on Hannah here. A recurring theme that is going to be present for me in these last two episodes is what a friggin' dope Elder Jonas, or EJ, as I'm going to call him, because he acts like a stupid teen, uh, <laughs> the entire... I, it's amazing to me how good season one props up this, you know, kind of uh, Roland Deschain mystical time traveling kind of badass, just making machinations and, you know, tinkering and yeah. figuring stuff out. Like, and then he turned, like, if you could describe Elder Jonas in season two, it's 
lazy dummy. Like he, he time hobo. Yeah, time hobo. There you time go. Hobo. Um, That's perfect. He's he he's like he's just laying in bed. You you left a time machine just sitting out, and you're you know mm-hmm. kind of where anybody can just walk mama. around and pick it up. Right? Why are you not like handcuffing that to yourself or something? Don't yeah. trust that mama. She At least right. put it under the bed. Like make an effort. Yeah, so. make him work for it. Yeah, something. I am not a fan of old EJ. Um, you know, another another thread that develops, and I'm curious from both of y'all um, how you felt overall about how this landed. Another thread that materializes rather profoundly in these last two is basically the payoff of Clausen's pursuit. Yes. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, I'll, I'll say this for myself and then get y'all's feedback. Like, I don't know that the punch is quite as forceful. Like the impact of the punch is quite as forceful as it could be. Uh, if we had a little more time to understand Clausen's motives along the way, or a few more breadcrumbs to understand his intentions. But I like that actor. And, and as, as much as I feel like a few puzzle pieces might be missing from his narrative with Alexander. He is hardcore committed in those interrogation scenes. And I really, I really kind of dug those scenes, even though I don't know that I totally think they're earned. Yeah. I think, I think the actor is a, a really good actor. Um, and I think that he does a good job selling his character. I just still am on. I mean, they didn't really, I'm sure we'll get it in season three, more closure about, or more understanding about what exactly is happening with um with him and what's his name, Buddy Will Winden Alexander. No, uh, yeah, Alexander. Yeah, that's it. Winden, but he's good. Winden is the town, Vera. <laughs> Winden is the town. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll third the uh, praise heaped behind Clausen, the actor. Um, I mean, and I actually really enjoyed the reveal because I needed him to have something. That right, there was a, right. at least in why he's doing it or what he knows the character was so obviously three steps ahead of what we were given um and so i i actually liked the the reveal that like okay yeah he's been searching for his brother all this time and um and so yeah and and i i appreciated that i appreciated that it connected to the larger narrative of essentially his presence will lead and we'll get into the specifics when we talk about the next episode, but his presence will lead to the actual um, apocalypse coming. Like he, right. he kind of uh, opens the possibility that it will occur. And so I, yeah, I, I liked that they substantiated that character. I think I'd expressed in an earlier conversation um, in an earlier episode that they were giving him so little screen time in the early episodes. I like that they anchored him in something truly impactful by the time the season was over. I think though, Nathan, your point in that, because he had so little screen time in the beginning that it does Mm -hmm. kind of feel undeserved. Like it kind of feels like they're shoehorning him more into the ending because they need to get that story in before it ends. And that might be because it's two episodes shorter this season. I don't know, but Mm. yeah, it does. It does feel like it's happening quickly. Well, and I will compare this plot thread to my frustration at the Charlotte plot threads of season two, which is, what super frustrates me about Charlotte season two is the, but who are my parents is just not a question. We as viewers even knew to bother wondering about uh, pre season two. Whereas what I do at least like about the Claus and Alexander sort of 
standoff is Alexander's 80, 1980s entry into the narrative is under mysterious circumstances. So at the very least, they're following that thread. And I kind of like that. You know, it's like, okay, you know, at least there's some built-in framework as to where this plot aspect is coming from, even if, again, it feels a little unearned in what we do get in season two. Uh, I'm going to throw one last sort of just fun note out for the moment. And then I want y'all to toss some stuff in here because there's a lot. I, I did take a lot of notes on seven and eight, but I just love. So Peter Doppler, you know, Charlotte's husband, um, he's confronting uh, Francisca and Magnus and Elizabeth. And I just like and I've, I've craved so much in season two, like real human character moments. And this one flirts with that but then just go so sideways because there's this, it's just this great moment where the kids have been, you know, kind of off doing their own thing. And Peter Doppler, the dad, like this father figure is just wagging his finger real hard at these kids. And I just love that his, his interrogation isn't, you know, uh, you missed your curfew or, Oh my God, you're pregnant. Or, you know, guys, let me tell you about the birds and the bees and, or stop hitting your sibling. Like any number of normal parental things. No, no, no. Peter says, so you traveled through time, which by the way, itself is not the main thing he gets mad about. Then he yells to what year? Like that's when he raises his voice. I just love, <laughs> like, it makes no sense on any show, but dark that a dad yelling at his kids so you travel through time to what year makes perfect sense. Tell like, me. And then, and then the, the teenagers are like, what you knew about this the whole time. How right. dare you not tell us and let us in on this thing. And I'm like, he doesn't owe you any explanations. He's your parent. <laughs> well, but I also, right. I also love the note that like when he yells to what year, like what is, you know, it's not like you're saying, which friend did you spend the night with? It's like, what year? What do you mean? Like, what, why does it matter what year? Is is your problem that we time traveled? Or is there is it your problem that there's a particular year you didn't want us to visit? I don't know. It's just a weird kind of... It it's really funny. Sp- this is just Nathan's musings. <laughs> Carry on. Take it away, it somebody. Is, it, is, it, it is really funny. But, like, here's the fun... Like, all this season, all this season, I think I heard at least six characters say to somebody else, wait, you knew about this the whole time? And... Yeah. Here's the here's the frustrating thing. Like the statement you knew about this the whole time like can somebody please ta- stop for a moment and say and like define the whole time for somebody else in the scene. I get so frustrated when a character throws out like wait, you knew about this already and why nobody on the planet just says I found out about this yesterday. Like right. and I'm still <laughs> processing it, okay? Right, like right. if I Nobody's hear, processing on this show. They're all just totally cool with it. No, they just and the, and they made it like okay, so I have a note. It's, it's actually from 8 but I have to introduce it right now because it's so relevant to what we're talking about. There's a moment, man, I love Patchy. Patchy's like <laughs> Patchy's like the unsung hero of Dark. I'm going to skip to a moment, and it's an inconsequential moment ultimately, but I'm going to skip to a moment that's in uh, episode eight, but I'm going to mention it here. There's a moment where uh, he is talking to Charlotte, where Patchy is talking to Charlotte, and they're talking about, like, he's telling her about the radioactive waste that's been buried at the nuclear power plant and everything. And then and uh, and then she says something. I forget which character she's talking about. I think Ulrich or something. Or, no, she, she might be talking about Jonas. Um, and, then she's, and then she says, he's back. And, and, uh, and then Patchy says, wait, Jonas came back? Uh, or he's back? And then she says, yeah, he came from the future. And I love that she's just like, <laughs> she... 
And she says that. She just throws it out there. Yeah, he came from the future. And then she walks around him and leaves the room. And I love this. I don't know whose decision this was, but the camera just lingers on the poor guy for like (laughs) 10 to 15 seconds as he's just standing there like staring off in the distance like, what is happening? She just said that. That's so funny because I've got a note about that too and joked that maybe then his other eye was going to pop out with just, you know, like (laughs) extreme brain explosion. I have a note about that scene as well where he literally spills the beans about like the whole conspiracy at the nuclear power plant like he tells her everything except what happened to his freaking eye yeah oh no exactly exactly yeah. we are never gonna find out what happened to that eye like never oh, i do appreciate the meta nature of that um that is so funny anyway uh, so vera vera that. toss something in the mix about episode seven um how about uh claudia and her dad Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, did either of y'all... I, I did not because, you know, Lenny. But did either of y'all <laughs> see that sort of materialism? Was that surprising? It was surprising. I didn't see that coming. I saw it a mile away. <laughs> I did. I did. And, I'm, and like, we... Adjust, oh, my uh, gosh. No, but I did. get out of, get out of here. <laughs> Listen. Somebody no, pull, I did. Somebody... Listen. Hey, where's our producer? Lead Racky. Get, pull the plug on him. <laughs> listen. Okay. So, listen. Here's the deal, y'all. And this is not new. Like... There are so many time travel stories, uh, science fiction novels, films, everything, so many of them that deal with the concept of people trying to change something and ultimately right. wind up causing it. And that's that's one thing about it where it's like, I don't know if it's you know the sheer magnitude of science fiction stories that I've seen with that as it's as at one of its fundamental uh, sort of concepts. But every single time, that a character, you know, in out of time, a character out of time is setting out to stop a thing. I my mind automatically goes to you're going to wind up causing it because you are you are setting out to stop this. Well, thing. I so, guess okay. Yeah. Well, I guess a question then is when did you see that? Because it's one thing to end episode five and Adam sends Jonas into the future and you'd be like, oh no, Mikey, Michael's going to commit suicide, um, <laughs> or he's going to talk him into it. Like, was was it? Claudia doing her bit in the library, like how do you how do you print this? Like, did you say, <laughs> oh, she's she's going to kill her dad? <laughs> no, it wasn't that early. Um, okay. Honestly, the scene the scene when I remember sort of thinking and notating it was uh, when they're in the car together. Um, that was when, like when they're driving in the car and I kind of picked up on at that point, like, oh, she's actively like trying to keep him away from the apartment. She's trying to like intervene. She wants him to move out of that place. She wants him to live with her. Like all of those things were starting to sort of gel for me. I was like, I don't know what's about to happen. Now, honestly, so uh, I did not know exactly how everything was going to play out. I did not know that necessarily she was going to accidentally cause the death. I thought maybe, you know, some she was going to somehow start a ripple effect. Maybe somebody else was going to kill him or maybe, you know, like I didn't see coming that they were going to scuffle and then that was go- what was going to cause his death. But I absolutely thought, okay, yeah, she in the process of this is basically going to uh, cause his death. So when he has those big bug eyes in the, in the apartment and it's like, why are you really here? Like when he has that reaction – that's when it all solidified. I was like, oh, they're going to scuffle, and he's either going to fall and hit his head, or somebody's going to bring out a weapon, and that's how he's going to die. Well, you know what, Reed? You are the white devil. <laughs> Man, maybe. <laughs> I don't know, y'all. Did you just well, call did, me did... white devil? Anyone know yeah. that's from? Ace Ventura. 
Oh, wow. <gasps> it's been so long, man. I'm just, that's I'm failing. I'm failing on my pop culture references tonight. <laughs> now, did you also pick up though that I'm sure Reed did? But Vera, did you pick up wow. that um, the scene in the apartment between Claudia and Egon recontextualizes why old lady Claudia apologizes apologizes to fifty three Egon? Yeah, you put that together, but yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I really like time witch Claudia, like future time lady. witch Claudia. <laughs> That's a yeah. great designation. Don't right? mess with her. The, one of my problems with this show is that I don't have any real names for people as I call them all by what I think of them in my head. Um, ah. <laughs> now, but, we we chronologically, which is fitting for this show, skipped over this scene, but we did reference it earlier. Let's unpack for a second. So I am so grateful that, um, and Vera, last time you were on, you said his name. It's not in front of me, so apologies but the actor who plays mid-age Ulrich, that he got episode six of this season when he got to, like, flirt and just be a dude living in the world, right? You know, at his at his anniversary yeah. party and, and you know, flirting with Hannah, which is not great, but at least the actor had something to do when he wasn't straight-jacketed or drooling or beaten to <laughs> bloody pulp. Like, this poor dude. Yeah. He is... This scene... So, Reed references earlier, Hannah you know, absconds with, uh, uh, EJ's time travel device just cause, cause she can't, you know, it's just sitting right there. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, goes back in time to 53 and, uh, tells 53 Egon, my husband is missing. I saw this news clipping. I think it's him and confronts him and, you know, poor dude is just desperate. And she says, uh, if you could choose to, the, the minute she said this opening line, I was like, holy cow i can't Mm -hmm. believe Mm -hmm. this character and she said if you could choose today between katarina and me i tried to remember if you ever said i love you to me i I mean now i won't disagree that she's a wretched uh, she behaves wretchedly however i will at least pivot a little bit here there are there are characters in shows historically i think specifically of uh julie taylor in friday night lights or kim bauer in 24 that you kind of you even get the feeling the show just kind of doesn't know what the crap to do with the character. So they give them all these terrible storylines. And it's like, what are you doing? At least with Hannah, I feel like I dislike her because she's so conniving. And and mm. that at least mm. is interesting character work. I, I don't know, to me. No, yeah. I don't disagree. I think that I I can't remember that actor's name either. I call him Budget Mad. Mads Mickelson. <laughs> oh. <I had>. <laughs> he <laughs> is. He is. He's like diet Mads Mickelson. He is. Yeah. He really is. Yes. <laughs> this B movie, Mads Mickelson. Um, <laughs> if he, it, sir, sir, if you happen to, upon hearing this show, I apologize on behalf of my two co hosts right now. <laughs> I think you're the man, even though I can't say your name and it's not in front of me. But carry on. Carry on. I don't know who you are, I'm sure he feels but you're much the man. better. Right, right. He feels very loved right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that part of the reason that I, I don't like her, and I think that the show has done a good job in doing this, is that um, because you see her in um, multiple timelines, you see her in the past, and you see her in the the uh, 2020. I guess the year is present, and she doesn't really grow as a person during that time like she's Mm. always the she has like a a complex about who she is and she doesn't like who she is and she wants to be one of the cool kids and when she's a kid you feel bad for her 
but as she grows into adult, she never grows out of it. And she, she's always yeah. stuck in that mind state. Um, and so she doesn't experience any growth as a person. Um, and that's what makes her so kind of despicable because she's still out for revenge and she's still out to show the, the cool kids that she can be better than them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and I think that's part of what's difficult is because her, her motivations, even as a character are so self-absorbed and they're so, uh, oriented around just her own, uh, desires and, and what she wants to see happen. They're childish. Um, yeah, they're very, very childish. And so that's, and, and that's what makes it all ultimately quite frustrating. Yeah. I do, I do love, uh, you know, in, in another Nathanism, I love that everyone is just so casual with the time machines. Like, Katarina <laughs> sees it courtesy of Magnus, and y'all, the image I got was like Homer Simpson with a plate of donuts. Like the way she grabs that time machine and just kind of excuses herself real furtively out of the room. Like she's going to the bathroom to read Sudoku or something, <laughs> you know, like she is, it's like y'all, Holy cow. The, the level of familiarity everyone all of a sudden has with just time travel is just hysterical to me. Mm -hmm. um. um, I have a, uh... I have just one more thing that I really want to to bring up about this. It, it going back to the very very beginning of it, um, but this is kind of my my final note on it. Um, this was actually my favorite episode of season two. I loved the opening shots where everybody's kind of like I, I don't know if you remember, but everybody is in a frame, and then they are somebody they're looking off to the distance and seeing a version of someone that that they're haunted by like Katarina sees yes, uh, yeah, Mikkel yeah, yeah. sitting in the chair and but it's and an apparition Hannah. yeah exactly yeah. yes yeah. so they're not really there but uh, and Adam is seeing Martha across the chair you know like and and just I just really loved that I thought that was um, I thought that said a lot about the characters and their current states of mind and um, so yeah I just I, I loved that opening shot um, and so I just didn't want to leave the episode before talking about it but that's the last note that I have on uh, on episode seven specifically I just, I just feel like Elder Jonas is just like taking back the teen years he didn't get due to being swept up in time travel stuff. He's like, he's just laying around his parents' house. He's breaking into other folks' houses, you know, like yeah. he's just talking crap about his elders, which is Adam. He just does nothing. He's. <laughs> That's something that in Winden they seem to do a lot is everybody just kind of walks in everybody else's house like it's yeah, the yeah, they do. thing yeah. to do. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I do think this episode ends pretty strong with the teen Jonas and white devil Claudia scene. Like that's a really, yeah, uh, oh, really, yeah. really potent scene. Any last well, minutes on seven? Vera? I'm sorry. Reed. Go ahead. No, it's great. I, I was just, it's great. You know, like elder Claudia showed him and now he's showing younger Claudia and it's just, I do love the way that they utilize the time travel to cause character collisions. It's, I mean like, yeah, it's really, really nice. All right. So. Let's jump into episode eight. It's called Endings and Beginnings, which is an, an inversion of the first episode's title, which is Beginnings and Endings. All right, Reed, come on. No way. Like, if if you called this, I'm going to start calling you Guinan, which I believe is Whoopi Goldberg's <laughs> character in Star Trek Next Generation, because she's like clairvoyant or something, right? Like, <laughs> no way. Did you Were you at least mildly surprised by the identity of Charlotte's mother? 
Oh, I was I was stunned. I didn't see that coming at all. Like, I mean, no, seriously. Like, I was. What I mean, kind of person yeah. would you have to be to see that coming? <laughs> I know. I mean, like, it's there's a very specific element to my to my like. It's like I keep I keep telegraphing it to you guys. When a character goes to try to stop a thing, they will ultimately <laughs> cause it. It's not that hard of a pattern to pick up. Um, but like, no, randomly be like, oh my gosh, so. Charlotte's mother is her daughter. Like that's that's a Ray Stevens song, man. That that like that is not. Like I can't even. I can't even. <laughs> Elizabeth is her own grandmother. I know wow. exactly. I know. Oh my gosh, it's just she insane. is her own bootstrap paradox. <laughs> she she is. She well, what's is. funny? What's funny, Reed, is all this season when we've been talking about, uh, or rather, uh, when we've been talking about this season, and you've you keep alluding to everyone being each other and or themselves. I'm like, you have no idea where this is going with Charlotte's <laughs> mom. This is, this is going to be mind blowing. I I mean. I don't know how you pay this off or, or, you know, or don't, oh, man. but in terms of pure ballsiness of, of plotting, I was like, uh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. No, no way. I mean, it's that. And, uh, it harkens back to something that you've referenced a couple of times about like why Elizabeth was not kidnapped and, and, right. and stuff like that. It's like, okay, yeah, that makes, and you had, it, those dots clicked into place for me right now to where like you had said earlier, oh, so Elizabeth was not kidnapped and here's why, but I didn't, I didn't know what connection that had to everything. Right. And, right. uh, and so, yeah, it just, it, it all, it all makes sense now. Think about how creepy that is, is that he Ugh. sees, Noah sees her as a little girl, doesn't kidnap her because eventually he's going to have a child with her. Mm, mm-hmm. That's just weird. Yeah. Well, that right. That right. I mean, it, it actually, I did not finish this book and nor did I see the movie, but it reminds me a little bit of The Time Traveler's Wife. Did either of y'all read that? Or, what, I, think uh, I saw the movie, but to be honest, it was painfully forgettable for me. I, I, I thought it was I attempted fine, to but... watch the movie and fell asleep several times okay. and then gave up. Mm. Well, but it's that kind of idea. Like the husband, or I, I honestly don't remember enough about the story, but he comes back at various various sort of eras of, of what would be the wife's life. So, and, and I do, I wouldn't disagree that it is creepy elder Noah. It's like, Oh my God. But it does click into place by the end where it's young Noah that makes eyes at Elizabeth fur. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of a cool locking Mm -hmm. into place that narrative. Um, We can kind of come back to this maybe in thematics, but I do love the scene. Although it's hard for me in my limited intellectual capacity to understand exactly what effect it has. But I love the scene with teen Jonas and eighties Claudia in the cave and just the line. Mm. He says, we're changing a grain of sand and with it, the whole world It's like, that's Mm. Mm -hmm. pretty awesome. But for a momentary digression here, I'm asking y'all the question. I'm not going to just ramble. That's not what I mean. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not positive. I am here that, the show posits it's immutable. So as heroic as we can sort of feel in the moment of Jonas doing this, the show, the, the I'm sorry, the rules that the show occasionally explicitly, but pretty implicitly establish is it's solid time. The timeline is immutable because even there's a, there's a line 
Elder Jonas, much as I dislike him in season two, says to Katarina, I believe, when she's challenging him, you go back and get Mikkel, he says, I can't. The past is the past or something. But he says, I can't die because effectively I have to become Adam. And Mm, that's, mm. you know, the timeline stops at Adam. All these characters' timelines currently stop at Adam. And so whatever's beyond him is new chronology. Anyway, my point being is... Am I excited about that line, even though it ultimately means nothing because he, you know, the apocalypse still happens. We know the future is a barren wasteland from teen Jonas visiting it. I think that, um, and this might, um, come more into play in themes, but, um, there is a theory that was positive by Nietzsche about, uh, eternal recurrence. Have you come across anything about that? I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to unpack it. I've heard the term before, but I would. I wouldn't have the substance. So behind. it's a it's a cyclical view of time in which, like, the current reality is finite, um, and then it'll begin again, and it's a cycle that repeats an infinite number of times. So Adam might be the end of the the timeline, and and then mm. it goes back and starts at the beginning again. Anyway, does that yeah. make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just can't tell. It It is difficult for me to wrap my brain around what we're supposed to kind of understand about what these characters' actions mean, if anything. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's, it's hard for me to know because what they sort of establish, I think, explicitly in some places, is if you've seen it occur, we the viewer, I mean, it occurred. And thus... Nothing will change it. In other words, things like Hannah goes back to 53 with a time machine because she always went back to 53 with a time machine. Mm-hmm. And thus, presumably, she stays there on and into whenever, perhaps having some sort of affair with Egon Tiedemann and maybe mothering Claudia. Who? Well, no, Claudia's already born. But point being, <laughs> like, it happened. We saw it happen. Thus, it happened. And thus does... Jonas is Jonas's and Claudia's sort of little moment hero moment in the cave amount to much of anything. I, I don't know. I'm just sort of, well, I, I feel like my, I feel like I'm about to be patchy. My eyes about to pop out of my skull. <laughs> well, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's the whole conundrum of the, the idea of time travel is that, you know, if, if you cannot escape that, that loop, um, if you can't escape that cycle, then, Season three is either going to present something that concludes this final cycle with something that Adam does. Like you said, Nathan, like it all ends with Adam. It's either going to conclude with something that Adam does or they are going to find some way to change the equation just enough that it diverges into something different. The reason that the parallel world excited me is because that's a wild card. If there is a parallel world, which uh, I, we're, we're kind of hopping all over the place, I guess we can uh, uh, kind of unpack something that happens towards the end of this episode, although there's much more to talk about it. But I keep referencing this parallel world idea. Um, something, I won't get into details right now because maybe that'll come up later, but something happens to Martha. Something bad happens to Martha, and it happens in front of young Jonas. Now, seconds after... Uh, young, this bad thing happens to Martha. Um, young Jonas is distraught. He doesn't quite know what to do with himself. And then in walks Martha, 
but like as Nathan called her, like better hair Martha. Like she's she's very or, uh, is Martha, Martha with the new hair, which is a Beyonce reference. Ma- Go ahead, Martha with the new hair. <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to Beyonce, but um, you should. You should. You should. I, I, I should. I should. Um, but uh, so yeah, Martha with the new hair walks in, and that indicates that there is an alternate reality with different occurrences, different situations, scenarios, everything. And if there's one, then there's any number of them. And if there's any number of them, then Adam could be Jonas, but from a totally different place. He could be he could have gone through a total different set of experiences, like all kinds of different things. Um and and that's why that ending excited me is because if it is this endless loop, then I was in store for a season three of like everybody's just gonna keep going back and forth and causing things that I see coming a mile away. And, <laughs> wow. And all this. And so, but I mean, like I'm being jovial, but like sure, sure. honestly, if it is this back and forth looping, then yeah, there's not there's Jeremy not really, Yeah, there's not really anywhere to go from there. But if it's a parallel situation, then we have some options because that maybe those futures aren't written in the same way, or maybe you know, one impacts the destiny of another in ways that could be actually changed. And so so that's why that, that teaser at the end with Martha with a new hair actually did sort of excite me about what they do with season three. Again, season three is only going to have, I mean, however many episodes, but that's it. I mean, they, they have announced season three is it. Right. So if season three ends on some version of mysterious like we don't know then i will be terribly frustrated at that point because i'll be like well this was all you got like this was this was all they gave you like wrap up the story somehow so hopefully they can do it hopefully they'll they've got a landing point well and i think it's so funny that Lossky's coming up here but like i think a thing dark doesn't because of its compact nature and what a thing dark does fine, but not as well at its best as lost it is the character stuff. And so what I think annoys me or annoys is strong. What, what chances or perhaps frustrates me about Martha with the new hair is I, I'm not sure what I wanted out of this show was extra dimensional bebopping, right? Like I, I was like, well, I think these characters are really interesting and their sort of stories entwining, whatever is fascinating to me, but I'm worried about how much more unwieldy can this go because, and read, I I debunked myself after I said this and watched subsequent episodes, but remember how you were uh, scratching your head or or frustrated about um, EJ in the bunker referencing Adam with no correlation to himself. Well, at the moment, frustrated by that. Well, (laughs) He does end up, by the end of the season, referencing Adam in relation to himself, I think. But in the moment, I didn't remember that. And so if you go back and listen to it, I posit the possibility of a third option. That was, are one or both of them deposits from another dimension? Because I knew Mm -hmm. it ends with something Mm -hmm. else. But at the same time, like you just said something that was interesting and, and could be cool if it were the case of, is Adam from here or not? But... At the same time, you referenced the beginning of season or of episode seven with the apparitions. What he sees is the Martha we know. And so why Golden Snitch Martha bothered me is it's like, oh, my gosh, like there's so that's like a whole new world to invest in, which has an excitement factor to it. But I'm still mm-hmm. so like, 
what are we doing? Yeah, my the thing that bothers me about it is that I kept or I'm still waiting for them to find the loophole that breaks the cycle of the 33 year cycle that sure. just repeats itself until the apocalyptic event happens that resets it, we're assuming. Um, and it feels like the introduction of multiverse Martha is like a deus ex machina. Like, deus ex Martha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like she comes and it's like, Oh, there's a whole other universe and a whole parallel reality. And it's like, and I'm, and listen, the writers of the show have like bought enough good faith that of course I'm going to keep watching it. Sure. And I'm still enjoying it. Sure. And sure. I, I'm sure they can do things with it that I don't expect. Um, but where we are right now and where we end off, it just feels kind of convenient for them to bring that in. Hmm. I mean, I'm not going to argue too much with that. I, I see that point, even despite my enjoying it more than you did. Uh, I, I don't disagree. Um, and I think really it's just going to come down to what season three gives us and how they how they stick the landing and whether or not they substantiate this with new exciting plot threads or if uh, if it's ultimately inconsequential. Well, and and I think, remember that feeling, it happens predominantly in season one and then ticks up again in season two of like, when you're introduced to a new timeline and you're like, oh, I remember that first feeling when they jumped to 86 with Mikkel in, in like episode two, like, oh, wow, oh, didn't yeah. know that's what this show was. That's, <laughs> right. that's exciting. And then, you know, six episodes later, you jump back to 53 and it's like, what? Whoa, (laughs) whoa, it's so much bigger. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then (laughs) episode one of season two, it's in 1921. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I'm patchy now. You know, (laughs) and so so that has an excitement factor, but you've got diminishing returns at a certain point. Right. It's like, okay, y'all, you've 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 set a pretty big table here. We need to eat at some point, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. And so, you know, and it sounds like I'm thrilled that you loved it and were excited about it. And like, sincerely, that's not me pacifying because I was left scratching my head being like, doggone, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can hold right. all this anymore. Like, what does this all mean? <laughs> um, you know, anyway, it, it, I'm, I'm curious I'm not as excited to see all of this because I feel like there's so much unanswered remaining, but, but again, you know, who knows it it could, um, I don't want us to drift too far from this though, because even in discussing where uh, the season lands, we haven't really, um, unpacked that final sequence, which I want to, you know, kind of volley, volley the ball up in the air for Reed to spike it some, because I know, I think you got really jazzed by it. Like the final, as much as I'm sort of struggling with some of the creative choices, uh, with some of the like big picture million foot view choices, mm. I still think creatively this show is really exciting. I mean, the scripting is great. The acting is great. The casting sure. is great. The production value is great. The, you know, even the effects when they decide to use them are, are well deployed. And so, oh, you know, yes. kind of y'all, y'all speak outside of just Martha, multiverse martha like how did you feel about the final kind of you know run leading up to that finale what do you think vera i really liked the um the time machine opening in all the dimensions at once or Mm. i guess in one of them it's the the gate but um in two of them it's the 
the time machine opening. And I like that that's kind of what activates the apocalypse, I guess, is what's happening. Mm. Um, And then it creates like the portal, which is cool. Will you be specific? Because I'm you're I'm a little confused because. hmm? Sorry. uh, No, I will not be specific. I was like, okay, no, (laughs) figure it out. Nathan. Oh man, this show, my friends are beating me up. Goodness gracious. Sorry. Like um, what, what, what machines are you referring to? Oh, um, so, um, when Clausen opens the, or the drum with the waist. Oh, right. Yes. Um, and then in the future, Elizabeth turns on the time machine and then in 1921, um, Magnus and what's her face do. Yep. Oh right, right, the God particle. Okay, right. Yeah. I was I, in my head. I was picturing the suitcase time machine. I was like, no, Hannah's flirting with Egon right about now, and that's sitting by her feet. Um, <laughs> oh, so no, then no, that, no, yeah. the the dark matter blob. Yes, it it, yes. Uh, it activates and forms the portal, and that's when you see Elizabeth looking through to Charlotte. Right. Mm. Um, that I, was great. Yeah, that was a great moment. And, and I, there's so many great ahead, things. No, it's okay. There's, there's so many great things uh, happening in that sequence as well because. Something that Dark does almost so often that it is a bit silly is there are montage sequences with, you know, usually underneath uh, a compelling musical choice of some of some version. I sent Nathan a note that he didn't uh, quite catch the reference for until after he had rewatched the episode, but I just sent him a note just saying, uh, my body is a cage is like, one of my favorite songs that that's just such an well, awesome song. Well, I think you're, and it's really, it is a funny story. Cause I think what you said is, is, is my favorite song of theirs or something like that. You reference oh, that my it's body, one of my, my favorite. Yeah. My, of theirs. One of my yeah. Favorite songs, yeah. Um, and I know it as an arcade fire song and I was like, huh, well that's, that's a pretty random. One of my favorite songs of theirs is this. And so I, that like, <laughs> that was my reply. I was like, yeah, I love city with no I children. And that was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next day I'm watching the episode. I was like, Oh, that's what Reed was talking about. <laughs> that's, that's why. Yeah. So at, at any rate, like I really loved in this uh, episode towards the end, you're seeing all of those different portals swirling around. You're seeing everything sort of go chaotic. You're seeing uh, also uh, just everybody entering into their respective spaces and underneath uh, all of it is taking place underneath my body as a cage, specifically not the arcade fire version, but the right. Peter Gabriel cover of it. But uh, it was just, it was just really compelling everything about what was happening. Now at that point, something that had happened at the end that I did not see coming at all. Never saw, like, no way I would have predicted this until, like, seconds before it happened was Adam shooting Martha. Like, that hmm. I that was not on my radar at all until he literally, when he pointed the gun up at them and said, you know, I'm the trigger and I'm going to do the thing that that turns me into me. I forget his exact line, but he basically is like, I'm going to do the thing that makes me become me. That is the moment that I knew like, oh crap, he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot Martha right now. Right. Um, so I never saw that coming. It was pretty, uh, pretty shocked by that little wrinkle. I was like, and that has some pretty far reaching implications to, uh, you know, a- Adam, the show does not give me any reason to disbelieve other than elder Jonas's, psychological denial of it the show does not give me any reason to disbelieve that adam is in fact jonas 
But man, he would have had to have gone through some stuff to go from we're perfect for each other, don't let anybody tell you differently, to I'm going to shoot you in cold blood to send me down this other path. And uh, I, that's just I like awful. the callback to what one of the Jonai said earlier. I can't remember <laughs> which one. It's the Jonas, the Jonas awesome. brothers. One of the Jonas brothers, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, if you're going to pick one. Um, <laughs> I don't even know the Jonas brothers. <laughs> um, says that um, perhaps I can stop myself from becoming me. He, um, mm-hmm. he, I can't remember if it's episode seven or eight, but one of them says that it must be. Um, that sounds like a Teen Jonas thing to say. Oh. Eh, I don't know, maybe. Mm. Well, because I think yeah. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Elder Jonas says to Katarina when she's pressing him on going back to get Mikkel, says, "No, it, it is what it is. I become Adam. You, you can't kill me." He doesn't. Maybe he doesn't say, "I become him," but as in he says. I can't die because I must become Adam or You're something right. like that. You're um, right. So it is, so it is young it's, Jonas. It's, yeah, so anyway, he says that because he still has hope. Whereas um, right. Adam is kind of the fully formed version of Jonas. Who's like, no, there is no hope. And so he does what he needs to, to become him. And it's important to note there that, so, so not, this may seem obvious, but like take Jonas as a singular character. You have young Jonas, you've got elder Jonas, and then you've got Adam Jonas. Um, but elder Jonas, at the moment that he leaves, use, uses the time machine and jumps somewhere with the rest of the crew, he does not know at that moment that Martha is not still in the bunker that he put her in. He may presume that based on time is immutable and it's all just going to play out the way that it played out, that she somehow made it out. But his, the elder Jonas's last interaction with, with Martha was putting her in the bunker and saying, stay here, like don't leave. And I think that was perhaps his attempt, vain as it must have been, to keep her safe and keep her from dying and hopefully keep him from becoming this Adam figure. And it is it is interesting to note that that middle-aged version of him has no way of knowing yet that he has failed. Um, and I, I do find that interesting. Well, I do wonder, too, because it is you're right, Reed. It's funny when you get granular on this show and figure out why an individual character is doing a thing, you can sort of track it back somewhere. And because if... who the hell knows i I don't know i was about to pause it a thing like "Ah, i don't know um (laughs) but i do agree with you that i think that is elder jonas's hail mary um which is a sports reference right um when he throws martha in the bunker (laughs) but okay that's oh that's what it was what do we make of this note young noah gives elder jonas right that he says is from martha and then jonas reads like that's impossible do you remember this? Yeah, but what? Is, so refresh my memory. Do we see what that note says? No, yeah, no. we don't. No, that's my point. We don't. Right. I was sitting. Do you know how many times I watched this episode and I was like, did I forget what? Did they show it to us and I forgot what they said? Because there's so many people like Noah reacting to the last pages of the chapter, and I was like, did we see what that said or did he just react to it? So I had a momentary lapse of memory where I was like, wait a minute, did we see? Okay, so yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> 
and I think I think part of the difficulty of capsulating this is this is inherently an incomplete story. Right. Kind of, I right. forget I forget which one of you had said that earlier, but you know, season one is is at least although there's an there's an epilogue scene of sorts where Jonas is in the future. There's at least some cohesion to the overall main narrative that's happening. Lots of little dangling threads, but the main narrative is kind of done. The apocalypse happens in season two, so I guess, yes, it has one too. But it feels so much bigger and feels like it is more tattered at the end of season two than it is season one. And that's coming from somebody who actively liked the ending of season two. But it's it, it's it does more deliberately like, a cliffhanger than season one is. Yes, I agree. I agree um, because I feel like they are intentionally sort of and and I don't know when they knew that they were going to be renewed for three, but um, it it yeah it does feel very much like we're going to save all of this for the eventual conclusion. Tune in next week, same bat time, <laughs> same bat channel. You know, like yeah, you're going to have to rewatch all of this to know what on earth is <laughs> happening at any given moment, and even then, you'll be scratching your head, wondering what am I watching? <laughs> exactly. I do love, I do love, and and sort of maybe even my final note here um, before any y'all and other theme stuff, but I do love the visual of during my body is a cage. Um, with Katarina in the cave and the time dust is oh man leading that's her. a that's, great that, that's shot pretty epic um well and i guess what's hard and maybe a little disheartening because i do feel kind of dumb not being able to suss this stuff out but like i can't tell if the show season two is positing there is a thing that can be done to break this loop you know what I'm saying? Characters right. talk about the potential for that thing, but the show itself, it does not feel like it makes a decisive statement that a thing could be done to break this loop. Right. Because, right. you know, like where we're left, Martha, multiverse Martha is the only wild card in what feels like there are other wild cards. In other words, Elder Jonas ports away with Bartosh and Magnus and. Francisca, things like Elizabeth and Charlotte, you know, kind of E.T. and Elliot-ing across time. Hmm. If you recall, we have precedent for that with Teen Jonas and Helga in season one, and they get shunted to opposite ends of the time stream, right? Right, right. Because 19 Jonas and 86 Helga get thrown to the future and... 53 so right. I, mm-hmm. I don't know i guess i'm more like well what happened to i don't know i'm just i, I think there's something interesting about that final sort of reach across time thing that i'm like oh that's uh, oh, okay guess did, did that cause the bubble to form over winden and then the apocalypse does the future apocalypse is it just winden because does it not give you that kind of that impression it i mean it does but winden as a like our world in this show is Wyndon. There is no, we don't even know where Clausen came from. Like he doesn't even cite like where, I mean, Wyndon is such a closed system in this, in the world, in the fictional world of this show. So honestly, this is not a dismissal of your, of your question, but the apocalypse might as well just be Wyndon because right. this whole show is just Wyndon. Like they, they don't care what's going on beyond this town in the slightest, at least the story doesn't, at least not right. yet. So, so that's I d- why I do feel, a, yeah. I do feel like once I finish season two, I may have even read something that was, that was postulating 
is it some sort of petri dish kind of civilization that uh, we're yeah. watching but anyway yeah. anyway whatever um <laughs> well i didn't have any more i didn't have any more specific notes about any of the details of the um of the episodes did anybody have any uh specific prominent themes that stood out to them that they um felt particularly galvanized by wanting to speak about um, there's something that I wanted to mention, um, just because I don't think it falls under themes, but it's kind of a thread that happens throughout both seasons of the show, and that's mm. the symbolism um, of that of color in dark. Huh. Do you, have you guys noticed any of that? I think yellow is the most prominent one that that pops up. But there's raincoat. Yeah, there's three colors and that pop up drums. really consistently. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's blue, yellow, and red, which are the primary mm. colors, right? Um, and they come up a lot. And I noticed yellow mostly because you have the the drums, you have the um, suits, the radioactive yeah, suits. Yeah, right. Jonas's raincoat, the doors of the school are yellow. Um, oh. Agnes sometimes wears yellow. Agnes is Ulrich's mom? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the cassette in Matt's... Well, technically, Agnes is Tronta's mom, who is Ulrich's father, but yes. <laughs> Jeremy Bear me. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, whatever. Anna's massage table's yellow. Um, there's an umbrella that's yellow. Um, red, there's a coin. There's red paths throughout the caves in Winden. Um, red lipstick. There's a red mm. dress at some point. Um, I think Agnes wow. again. Um, Claudia Tiedemann sometimes wears red as a child and then blue, the wallpaper in the bunker. Um, Jenna Nielsen has blue sweaters. Tronta Nielsen wears blue. Agnes sometimes wears mm. blue. So like those three colors. Well, and Jonas's, I noticed this. It's funny you say that. Cause I noticed this teen Jonas's final, uh, appearance with, uh, Claudia in the caves. He is no longer in his yellow jacket, but is in a blue jacket yes oh interesting. i did happen to, i happened to notice that i wasn't thinking about it in the broader context of colors except that it was a noticeably different look for him so interesting those three colors on the color wheel are evenly spaced um and that's called mm. a triadic harmony of color um mm. and i just thought it was really interesting that they had the symbolism of the color throughout the show um there's three of the colors they're evenly spaced on the color wheel, just as time in the show is evenly spaced. 33 years apart is how ah. the cycle runs. I just thought it was another kind of interesting layer that the show well, has think, been. Think, too, about uh, Claudia's heterochromia with her different eye right. colors. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I, I feel like. Dark got Reed, deep. I feel like in the recording of this episode in the final published edition you should have the theme music playing in the background right now because i feel like we just jumped into winden real quick <laughs> like vera, vera just took us to little german church she's like oh by the gosh. way mm-hmm. he's the guiding here's, principles of this world here's all the things um yeah and and i they have to or i would imagine they would i shouldn't say they have to i would imagine they are connected to either a motivation, like a hint at a motivation or some sort of symbolic representation of, you know, the light versus the darkness. Because what I can't get over, although, I, doggone if I know what it's trying to say, 
is how overt so much of the religious language is in so much of the season. But it's very difficult for me to grasp exactly what it's trying to scratch at because I can't even, by the end of season two, tell whether Claudia or... Uh, Adam are the real bad guys. Like they definitely are like, which one is the bad guy? Good guy. Are they both bad guys? They're both good guys. Like the, the motivations and intentions are so muddled. It's very difficult to grasp exactly what the show is trying to say with all of it. It's telling a very interesting story. I feel, but it's difficult for me to grab hold of what it's trying to say through all of it, through it's, it's very deliberate as you've already you know, unpacked for us, Vera. It's very deliberate production design, um, even right down to the colors of objects and clothing that people are wearing. So it's got to be very intentional, and intentionality usually has purpose and meaning behind it, but uh, it's it's very difficult for me at this stage to grasp what that might be or what the show's trying to say. Yeah, there's a lot more threads that are left dangling at the end of this season, um, and I think feel like a lot of the characters, not that they're not fully realized, but their intentions aren't fully realized yet. And so mm. we we kind of just have to guess at what it is. And and that's one of the things I actually kind of like about the show. Like I didn't see Claudia killing her dad coming because I liked Time Witch Claudia so much as a person. And I thought uh, she was the the good guy that was going to help yeah. break that the cycle of time. Um and ends up contributing to it again. Mm. Well, but I do think, and, you know, I think all of these touch on thematic ideas. So, but to me, I do think what's interesting about the Claudia character in a way that Vera, you were outlining earlier, doesn't happen for Hannah, at least not as of yet. Who knows? She may be our Jamie Lannister of the show, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> ultimately, but, I do think what's interesting and makes Claudia an interesting character writ large, uh, not any lone iteration is the repentance basically, you know, is the, however, quote unquote wicked, we may ascribe her intentions in not maybe intending to kill her dad at the outset, but definitely not saving him uh, with real, with real Mm -hmm. intentionality there. Um, I do think there's great, remorse as seen through time which claudia's confession you know kind of sub subconscious or subliminal confession to 53 egon which is again her going to her death right after that happens chronologically for her but anyway point being like i'm kind of with you reed there's disappointment's the wrong word perhaps but it will be a little bit of a jarring effect if adam is not quote unquote the bad guy um sure right right but again you know i I don't know and the intentionality of the production design and the things that are super strong about the show make me not distrust where three can go i'm just on a less i'm on less sure footing than i was at the same time there are probably things occurring in two that i'm not even really picking up on and won't be real clear until three I feel like I'm circling back away from theme. I don't mean to be doing that. Um, no, that's okay. Uh, I mean, you touched on something right there uh, that I would like to bring up, and we can unpack it for as long as we want to. I know we're already kind of running aground of, of time in general. Um, but Aren't we it, all, Jeremy Barry? Uh, you know, all right. Aren't we all running aground of time? <laughs> yeah, the beginning really, really is the will. end. 
<laughs> it's it's so true. Um, the but I did find it interesting, uh, though I've called out multiple times in these recordings that it that it frustrated me from a writing perspective and from just the generalized storytelling perspective. Um, that Jonas and Adam have different names. That they are actively like Adam is actively, presumably, causing the things that will turn Jonas into him. Um, but he has adopted, see, there's just no way for us to know. He's adopted a new name, um, and that new name, wherever it came from, has created a disassociated identity within him as he's telling his younger self, I'm you, um, but never refers to himself as such. And then the younger and elder Jonas are both sitting there still referring to him as Adam, as this disconnected being. And I do I do find it interesting, and I don't have a ton to say about it, but it's an interesting uh, thought to just sort of plant some seeds and, and allow them to grow as they will, that if we have some window into who we are becoming or how we are like i i keep going back let me let me get real practical about this i keep really go back go back to that phrase where people will say oh i i saw your you know true colors or you know like uh, your true colors are showing or something like this is who they really are and i had a conversation with somebody that was it was at work and it was totally not about dark cuz none of my work friends watch dark but um, I was having this conversation with them, and we were talking about some frustrations with uh, certain like team members, not uh, within our specific building, but just people we have to work with and people we have to collaborate with to get to accomplish certain tasks. And they just had these other people just have a very different way of doing things. They're very brash in their communication. Uh, they're very terse. Uh, sometimes just plain rude in the way that they address people and speak to people. And the conversation that I was having with my friends, we were talking about different levels of how if you just listen to somebody, they'll tell you who they are. Like if you'll just listen to the way a person is, they could feel this way or they could feel that way, but they will, they will tell you who they are. You, they're, they're, um, you know, what really drives them will come out through the course of interaction. And so I find it interesting to think about this version of Adam that supposedly has has grown from being so lovelorn that he will still tell his known aunt, we're perfect together, don't let anybody tell you differently, growing into somebody who will openly shoot her just to cause some inevitable uh, sort of chain of events. And uh, and where where again I don't have a cohesive thought on this. It's just a, an interesting sort of uh, rabbit trail for for me to follow. Um, is that notion of the ways we will suddenly see or will react in ways that surprise ourselves, or something will make us very mad or or sad, um, and then we'll be stuck in this place of like I don't feel like myself. I don't I don't feel or I feel like I'm losing myself. And those kind of conversations just fascinate me because I'm like, are, are these just shadows of what is really there and the circumstances are affecting them or bringing them out in weird ways? Or are you actively changing? Is it really that this is who you have been this entire time, but circumstances push you this way or that way? Or is there active change 
happening in your heart? Are you essentially, you know, was Adam always Jonas or did Jonas truly become an Adam? And I, I do find it interesting that their names are different. Is this that I'm trying to scratch at? Does it make sense where I'm going with these kind of things? Yes. And I do think one, it's not a deficiency of the show. It's an act of choice they've made. There's so much we're not given. Um, yeah, of course. You know, between course. kind of 30 year old Jonas and what? 60 year old Adam or so. Um, uh, yeah. I, a couple of thoughts there. One, I, I understand it being a hang up, but I do think it's worth noting in terms of the, the character nomenclature there. Um, Jonas, Jonas, Adam, like the superstructure of the show has as part of its through line, Adam needing this old cycle to complete itself as he, and, and young Jonas says to Claudia, he's trying to start a new world. I want us to save the one we have. And Mm. so the name Adam has a Genesis appropriation to it ushering he and you know whoever else is it in 1921 with him into this whole new life cycle world cycle who on earth knows um (laughs) something that uh i feel like you're also scratching at reed that uh, or at least it feels like it is or what you're saying makes me think of um that isn't a pivot away and hopefully is just a layering on top of david gushy whom i referenced frequently at the top of 2018 in a recent like Facebook's blog post coined this phrase that like haunts me for how like resonant and also terrifying it is. And the phrase is that's come up in our home multiple times as my wife and I talk character is destiny. And Mm. I just am so like quake underneath the power of that idea that like, yeah, who you are determines who you will be. And that's such an elusive, like, well, what does that mean? Well, right. Yeah. Help, let's talk about that, I guess. But like, you know, and, and in, I think what you're trying to scratch at is the character we see of young and even elder Jonas feels at odds with the destiny, it seems, of him becoming Adam. Right. And, yeah. and, and that's all I'm saying in terms of we, we there's so little we have to go on between those eras. But but even divorcing that from the TV show Dark, this notion of character as destiny is a really haunting idea right that like (laughs) you know who we are is who we'll perpetually be which Mm. sounds nihilistic and or or fatalistic i also think it can be kind of hopeful in the sense that maybe maybe this is me layering hopefulness upon it you can with time and development and formation massage your character into what will then be destined does that does that make any sense at all in other words character doesn't have to be a static thing or you know exist in this yeah amber state that is always like if you if you've got quote unquote bad character it doesn't mean that for eternity you're going to perpetually make bad choices thus your destiny is bad but that takes work and effort and time and intentionality and whatever anyway i'm just sort of responding to what it feels like you're saying yeah it makes sense vera do you have any specific responses or thoughts on that uh yeah I think that one of the themes, and I think it's especially evident with the the Jonases and Adam, um, is identity, um, as you've both mentioned. 
and how it persists over time and how it changes over time. So Nathan, as mm. you're saying that like your character doesn't have to be static and you don't always have to be who you al- always are or will become. Um, and I think that if any of us were to go back and look at our younger self, we've probably come a long way from where we were in our teenage years or even 20s. Um, and we've changed a lot. And since then, we yeah. have become more of ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. And 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 right now where we are, we are not fully who we will become. And so I think that Adam, either in trying to start a new timeline or whatever his intentions are that we don't clearly know, he he may or may not be trying to either fully become who he is or to avoid becoming what he has become. Because he is the most fully realized identity in the show of the character of Jonas because he has had all the identities previous to him. Right. Does that make sense? Mm. The way that it was described to me was at any given point in time, we are like a slice of bread. Um, But if we were to look at a 4D version of our life, we would be the full loaf. Oh, (laughs) Call me a loaf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you had a lot of candy at That's Halloween. A, I'm just saying. I, did, like, I, uh, I do like that analogy, though, and I do like bread. Um, <laughs> well, and a, a phrase that kind of popped into my head, Vera, as you were saying that was, "We are constantly becoming who we are." Yeah, which is mm-hmm. terrifying and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my god. Um, yeah, you know, because all of the 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 aggregation of our Thoughts and intentions and wills and desires and apathy and optimism and defeat and victory all conspire to form the us we are continuing to grow into being, um, which is, I think, maybe a lovely thought if if I know exactly what I'm saying, which I'm not sure I do. <laughs> right. Um, and we are only a piece of of all that has been and all that will be of us, what exists right, currently. Right. It's interesting. I was, as I often do and, and, and read who often shares conversation with me and Vera, you who might listen to our conversations know, uh, spending a lot of time this year in the works and, and thoughts of Richard Rohr and, and one of the episodes of um, another name for everything, they're fielding listener questions. And, there's just this really lovely freeing notion and, and that I think we, I will speak for myself and, and what little I know of read Vera don't tell them your sort of church backstory per se, but you know, those of us used to a more traditionalized version of church would probably balk against at least our former selves perhaps. And that's someone writes in and it's, it's an adult and he's referencing his spouse and how, and he is learning and growing and, and experiencing great richness of you know spiritual formation through the teachings of roar but this is creating conflict in his marital relationship and that specifically his wife the the language the husband regales relays is she says all i ever needed i learned from the bible in kindergarten or something like that i'm being slightly reductive but not totally like that's what he says is her articulation Mm. and roar just really kind of compassionately sinks his teeth into that a little bit and just says like, that's actually 
really bad. Like, like that's not, you know, mm-hmm. we are constantly maturing and, or should be rather. Um, and it was really lovely to me because it kind of, Reed, you and I have talked about on the show occasionally about marriage and, and how like the best version of what marriage are one's marriage can and maybe should be is when you're able to kind of like disassociate, disattach yourself from your spouse and meaning looking at them as a fully formed individual that isn't necessarily required to be in relation to you. And that like, then right, you can really right. admire the, them they are. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and in the context of, you know, this questioner of, of roars, he was positing this notion of the loveliness of being able to say, Oh, like to not be afraid of, of maturity, to not be afraid of development, to not be afraid of becoming more who we are than we currently are. And, you know, like, Oh spouse, your, your new hobby is a little, different and un and unfamiliar to what was but it's you and you're thriving and you're growing and it's fascinating you and it's bringing you to life and and thus however different it might be from what was i encourage and nurture and should support this does that make any sense at all um, yeah, yeah just this this notion of constant churning and the the appropriateness of that and the health the healthiness of that um that we are constantly becoming that we are not static creatures anyway this is just what made Right. Brain train them on there. Uh, well, and then if you go back to the show Dark, I think that maybe Hannah and her stagnation hmm, in yeah. basically her teenage years might be yeah. like the opposite of what it is that the show or it might be trying to emphasize that like you don't want to you don't want to be static or you might end up like bitter. <laughs> well, yeah, she hasn't worked on her character. If character exactly. is destiny, she's just exhibiting what she's always been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's just... the real big bad of the show. Like, <laughs> she might be. Like, we don't know. She may one. end up being. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Who knows? No, I, I, I like and appreciate much. You know, so much of what I, each of you are saying. Um, and I, I do think about this notion. I mean, right now we have. Oh Lord! Like I'm, I'm. I was actually sort of entering into what was meant to be a final thesis statement for me. Um, and I hope I don't explode us up for so much more, but you have these generational arguments right now happening, like where all over the internet, you'll have people being classified by generations and, and somehow dismissed or validated based on their, you know, their, their generational sort of landscape. Okay. boomer. Exactly. Like I'm thinking of okay. Boomer versus millennials and everything like that. But what's interesting about that is that, that time spent, maybe this is directly related to dark, Time spent does not equate to maturity developed. Absolutely. And, yeah. And and it is it is how you have navigated that time and and what you have chosen to do with it or or not do with it that will determine the maturity or not that you that you develop. And there is a certain degree of just Time will make its mark on you. To I, I'm I'm paraphrasing something that Adam had said to Jonas, but like time will leave you with its its particular scars. But there are better and worse ways to navigate those times and the choices we make, and not only for our own personal development, but how we choose to spend our time uh, will determine, uh, like. I go back to something that 
Stephen King said specifically about writing that I've, I've thought a lot of in different contexts, in the context of maturity and, and, and other subjects. Uh, Stephen King said about writing that, like, you know, there, there are bad writers, there are okay writers, and good ones, and great ones. And uh, I'm painfully, awfully paraphrasing here, but he basically said that, you know, it's really impossible for a bad writer to become a great one. Like, that's, that's not really possible. Um, but it is possible through the right tools and education and hard work for an okay writer to become a good one. And uh, it, it, it's interesting to me about, like, there are spectrums of development and maturity that I do think are going to be uh, sort of fundamental. You are, you are who you are. Now, the, the counterpoint to that is I do believe, although how it plays out in the real is different for every person's story, but I do fundamentally believe as a Christian, that it is possible to have a radical reshifting of your DNA and thought patterns, and and I, I do think I do think yeah. transformation is uh, a viable and and strong possibility. Something that we as believers should constantly be pursuing for ourselves and and uh, to affect that change in the world around us as well. So I, I don't know that there will be, at least not from me, I don't know that there will be some definitive thesis statement, but so much of what we're exploring, not explaining, but so much of what we're exploring in these conversations, you know, maybe could be boiled down to, uh, in my feeble attempt at, at a closing argument, you know, just, just be deliberate with how you spend your time and uh, be cognizant of who you were and who you are and who you would like to see yourself become and, uh, you know, correlate that to how you choose to spend your time and, and, and who you choose to surround yourself with and what you choose to surround yourself with and how you choose to navigate all of it. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. That's exactly right. I love it so That's much. a quote, by the way, in case you oh, didn't it is. get it. <laughs> no, I know. No, come I know. on. No, that is, come that on. Is, I have a is... firm belief that I think I've quoted that in the three years of this show, but <laughs> thank you for that offering. <laughs> that is probably is, true. But yes, Gandalf, indeed. Yes. It is interesting reading. I know you're trying to stop us, and, and hopefully that will be momentarily. But when you referenced or when the OK Boomer joke came up a moment, a moment ago, I was, it kind of sent my brain spinning, and, and I was just thinking about how you you tied off your comment there, your your treat us there, if you will, with the notion of radical transformation being possible. And I absolutely and utterly agree and think that's valuable to keep in front of us because what it made me think of, you know, the, the notion you put out of how we, I don't know if you use this language or not, but about labeling, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you kind of bracket, you call them people into certain groups and like stereotypes exist for a reason. And, but the problem becomes when we live up to the stereotype. Right. And yeah. And I think what's valuable is when you can acknowledge I am part of a particular demographic, transformation then happens, but only happens when it's willingly and humbly entered into. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. we don't just generally, I, I would imagine this is the general course of human development. You don't just stumble into radical transformation. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. and it's important as we're propping up these character templates, Hannah being a really good go-to here, like Hannah is not going to just suddenly not be scornful anymore. Like right. that has to be a, and the trajectory she's currently on, who knows if it'll ever happen, but like 
as a through line for that person to to alter character has to be willingly and conscientiously and with with open eyes engaged and pursued it doesn't just she's not going to wake up one day and be like you know what <laughs> i've been a real you know what for 30 years <laughs> you know <laughs> like like maybe i should knock it off just, right 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 anyway I, I don't know i just think it's an important note that if if you feel pigeonholed if you feel labeled to kind of self-interrogate and be humble about like okay well mm-hmm. what am i what are what are my blind spots? You know what what do right. I need to be open right. about? What you know do I does, is transformation required in this? Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, before we pivot into the fog meter, Vera, did you have anything else to add, or is, uh, are you going to let uh, Gandalf Gandalf's <laughs> wisdom uh, uh, close your side of the statement? Um, I mean, I think I got to leave it with Gandalf, but <laughs> you know what? Watch them introduce like multiverse hannah into the next season of the show and she's just like like, awesome the most altruistic person that you've ever seen (laughs) (laughs) she's just so giving yeah she's like a benevolent chrono queen yeah oh just populating the multiverse with goodness and love and joy (laughs) i know that would yeah that would be that would be truly (laughs) that would be truly an unexpected turn Um, (laughs) i didn't see that coming did you read no All right. As we do with so many of these pieces of material we cover, um, we are going to go to the fog meter, wherein we're going to discuss uh, rank rather on a scale of maybe zero, but one to ten. Fear, how scary a thing was, and God, or how substantive a thing was. Vera, you know the drill. As our guest, you get this is amazing. You get to like put your stamp on a season of television with us. So for you. How does Dark Season 2 rank on the fear meter? Other than existential fears, I guess, about free will and determinism and identity, um, I don't think it's super scary, so I'm going to put it at a three. Uh, three. I, 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 I can understand that one. Reed, what about you on the... Uh... On the fear metric, so I agree. Uh, like existential dread is really all you've got going on with that, and even that is it's lessened in season two than there is in season one. So on the fear measurement, I'm actually going to go a two. Yeah, I think that if I were to take everything away from this season except just the Ulrich storyline, it might be like super high because my gosh, my poor man, he's just <laughs> like he's suffering. Um, but you know, it, it does kind of, you don't really jump. There's not even that much in terms of horrific imagery. Uh, I'm going to split the difference between the two of you and go two and a half. Um, <laughs> All right. so pivoting oh, us into the God meter, the substance metric rather, um, Vera, how do you feel, uh, overall about dark season two? I think that there's a lot there, um, especially with the character Jonas, um, and I think that the show is very intentional um, with the the colors, with the names of the characters, and um, with the the specific imagery and language that they're using in the show. So I'm gonna say an eight. Mm. All right, um, I will let I'll let you go last. Read uh, for myself on substance uh, of dark season two. I think. I think what's unfortunate for me is it's hard to make a pure judgment call on this without kind of knowing where it goes. I feel like there's a lot tossed up in the air that is 
uh, semantically uh, of substance, but I can't tell how much the show backs it up just yet. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to hedge a little bit below you there, Vera, and land at a six for the substance meter on Dark Season 2. What about you, Reed? I think the there's a lot of great world building happening in it, but I still struggle to really land on something uh, that they are really trying to say. So I'm going to give some credit for the world building, but ding it down uh, for not really having a cohesive sort of substantial statement. I'm going to split the difference with a five. Um, so basically where that leaves us on the fog meter is a, uh, a firm four and a half of, uh, for season two, uh, of dark Netflix's dark season two, four and a half. But I think the truly important question, uh, on everybody's mind, inquiring minds want to know, and I'm going to start with Vera. Vera, would you recommend dark season two to people? Yeah, I, I would and do recommend the entire series so far to people i think it's worth a watch awesome how about for you nathan uh it's a cautious recommend on the second season even though i've now watched it twice um (laughs) you know i I, there's there's just a lot left up in the air in a way that uh season one didn't leave me feeling as much so um but you know generally if a person liked season one they will find things to appreciate about season two and thus yes a recommendation uh, I'm kind of right there with you as well. I, th- I think the show is overall is a pretty easy recommend, even though I've got some complicated feelings about season two that are going to probably be tilted up or down depending on what they do in season three. But where it stands right now, I would recommend uh, Dark seasons one and two uh, for anybody interested in that in in the kind of time travel exploratory storytelling that they're uh, that they're doing. So, um, so there we have it. Uh, I'm gonna prep you in brief for next week but first of all uh, I want to very very much thank our foreign correspondent Vera Gowdy for joining us once again for uh, bringing home speaking tongues yeah that's right uh, for uh, bringing us back into Wyndon and so uh, merci um, and so next week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting a series uh, it's it's going to be kind of different for us because next season we are well we're entering into December and December brings with it the holiday seasons uh, some different seasons if you will this has also been though we haven't done too much on the show this year uh, we've pivoted this has been kind of the year of King the hashtag nineteen the year of Stephen King and so we are going to conclude that same year with um, an exploration of some different seasons, if you will, some non-horror Stephen King material. And our first starting point is going to be the Rob Reiner film from 19... Oh, gosh, I forget what year. It's the 80s. <laughs> uh, should have been more prepared for that. But uh, Stand By Me. Look up the Rob Reiner film, Stand By Me. Check it out for next week. And uh, thank you again so much, Vera. Thank you again, as always, Nathan. Um, and guys, we will see you next week for Stephen King's Stand By Me. Thank, thank you. you and thank happy you, American Thanksgiving. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Happy belated Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> See you guys uh, later. Bye.
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music was composed by Lee Wright and Reed Lackey, and our podcast art was crafted by Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com. Merchandise for the show can now be found at tpublic.com. Just search for The Fear of God Podcast, all one word. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.